no deals for Utah, what to do with all of this cap space, and 25 games left to go in this important season. It's a Salt City Hoops podcast. Thank you for joining us. We have a lot to cover in this deadline day wrap-up, or deadline day non-wrap-up, as it were. Uh, This is Dan Clayton. I'm the associate editor of Salt City Hoops. And joining me back in the country, back in the hemisphere, welcome on, on, by the way, his birthday eve, celebrating his last night of being, well, I won't, I won't, there's probably like a HIPAA violation if I say your age, but Ken Clayton is joining us. Uh, Ken, how you doing? It's been a minute. Yeah, it has been a while. I'm not sure why you're mentioning I'm back in the country. I'm not sure anybody out there knew I was leaving the country, but uh, it's good to be back, sort of. You are an international man of mystery, and (laughs) people everywhere track the whereabouts. No, you had a a chance to go to uh, back to Spain, where you and I each lived at different times and separate from one another, and then got to check out Morocco. So... You know, quite the little, uh, quite the little vacation over All Star break. Yeah, I'm not complaining at all. It was, uh, it was a great time. Always great to go back to my uh, other mother country and uh, check in with things. And yes, you're right. It was also my birthday in just a couple short hours, and I will be X years old. You are Y years old, and what everybody always wants to know is, is X greater than Y, or is it the other way around? <laughs> oh, it is greater. <laughs> X minus Y is a positive integer, is what I would say to that. Um, right. Yeah, and on top of all the good touring of Spain and whatnot, you also got to miss the All-Star game, which this year <laughs> was you know, a particular blessing upon your household. Um, yeah, I think. I have a buddy who, uh, when he saw I was leaving town, he said, how many jazz games are you going to miss? Like I plan my vacations around on the, around that. And I said, I'll miss three. And he said, yeah, but plus the all-star game, right? <laughs> and I said, you know, I, I literally, I feel kind of weird because I am such an NBA fan, but it, I wouldn't be surprised if it's been 10 years since I've watched an, an all-star game. Yeah. Because I just find so little in them that really interests me. Well, they're not basketball. And I thought it was particularly telling that this year, um, like actually during the telecast, the broadcasters that were calling that game were talking about how the All-Star game needs fixing. Like they are the fight promoters, basically. (laughs) And even they can't fake it and pretend like what is happening in front of them is entertaining. So, um you know, I do think it has reached a tipping point. Not that I, not that I seriously anticipate they'll do anything about it. I don't think there's that much you can do about it. Um, <clears throat> you know, in terms of attaching stakes to it, a lot of people have made those types of things. Um, but yeah, it was it was bad. And and the other events were kind of bad this year too. Like the dunk contest was terrible. Um, you know, the three-point shooting contest was kind of anticlimactic. I don't know. Maybe it was just that it all happened in a party town, so guys had had a little too much fun. I don't know. Yeah, I was just shocked. I, I had heard the complaints about the quality of the game, and then when I saw the score, after having heard the complaints, I was still shocked. I thought, oh, wow, really? That yeah. Was, that... <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's always a little bit like watching a two-hour layup line. And, yeah. you know, there's only... That can only be fun for so long. 
Um, actually, we, because I do plan my <laughs> my trips around the jazz, uh, we took off and, and went up for a weekend to Boston just to kick it around a different city, right? And um, so I was kind of like the night of the actual all-star game, I was kind of in and out a little bit in terms of, you know, we were watching it at a restaurant, then we had to get back to the hotel and then watch the rest of it at the hotel. And, um, and I'm glad because it was, it was just, you know, not good watching. And this was a year that there were even sort of stakes involved for someone who, who follows and covers the jazz. You know, I can't imagine trying to feign interest for two hours if Gordon Hayward hadn't been there. So Gordon, thanks for taking one for the team. And, and even he, I I thought his comments after the game were funny. He basically was like, yeah, it's not really basketball. I mean, he said those words, which I thought, I thought were great. Uh, anyway, so that's the trade deadline, or sorry, that's the all-star game, which we weren't even going to talk about, but if you get a chance to talk about how awful the all-star game is, you pretty much have to do it. That's a rule in life. What we did want to talk about is, uh, today's big non-news. Um, I don't know. Were you surprised? The Jazz make no moves on trade deadline day. Um, you know, obviously made a deal last year, have made deals in a few of a few recent trade deadlines, the Ennis Cantor deal, obviously the Darren Williams deal back six years ago. Were you surprised that nothing happened today in the jazz front? At this point, I don't think I'm ever surprised when a deal doesn't happen because as easy as we think deals are to throw them around on Twitter and trade machines and, and, and boards that we used to participate in, they're not as easy. There are always two parties and sometimes more involved um, in in the case of you know some of these deals, obviously there are two teams involved, but sometimes players have have uh, no trade clauses or have to give approval based on different contractual uh, stipulations. And you know, if even if the player doesn't have actual control, you know that the players are voicing opinions, agents are getting their fingers in. So you gotta line things up just right. So nothing ever surprises me anymore. But I think the general consensus was we all thought the Jazz would do something, even if it was a minor move, to use some cap space to clear out maybe the the four some of the four point guards on the roster that aren't playing anyway. But you know, those things didn't happen as we as we learned a few minutes after one o'clock when we got the not so anticipated tweet that no, the Jazz aren't doing anything. It's done. Yeah. That's always fun because, you know, 3 o'clock comes, 3 o'clock Eastern comes, and you know that some deals trickle in after because maybe they didn't, you know, quite get the news leaked and they're still queued up to talk to the league office, and so you kind of have to wait for that high sign saying, you know, they're really done. And they were, and, you know, you mentioned a good point about um, about the cap space, and I guess, that's, I guess that's my biggest thing is I sort of evaluate and um, – you know, grade may be too hard a word because it's hard to grade something that didn't happen. But as I think about the Jazz and and what they could have and should have and might have accomplished today, the big thing for me is is if everything goes to plan, this was today and draft day are really their last two shots at using cap space. I mean, after you know, once. July 1st comes, the Utah Jazz will not be a cap space team with this core. And um, which is another way of saying if they do have cap space at some point in the next couple of years, it's probably bad news because it means a whole bunch of people 
have uh, have voted with their feet and have moved yeah. on and gone elsewhere. So you know, I don't know from from your standpoint. Do you? I mean, it's always hard to judge because we don't know what deals were and weren't available. Um, but just from an asset management standpoint, and just knowing that this is the last time that that's a tool to make your roster stronger, um, at least anticlimactic, right? Oh, absolutely. I was thinking about it today, and and days like this, and days like uh, you know uh, free agency when you kind of strike out with the names you were looking at, and even the draft when in those in those odd years when the Jazz trade their pick away prior to the draft especially but even during the draft even even in, even in the Martin Mirsep year <laughs> um, I know you remember that one yeah um, we were there weren't we we were we were there and we were with dad and, and we he we we were we we were patting ourselves on our back how pro well prepped we were and it all went to naught because they announced the name and dad turned to us and said who's that and we both said i don't know and that might have been the Be, last time that might have been the last time we succeeded at dragging dad to one of those draft day parties. <laughs> it it might be. We, it wasn't our it wasn't our best showing. <laughs> anyway, so any all three of those scenarios, I mean, I think we go in with with some there's some optimism. And we know it's difficult. You're not always gonna get the the best free agent. You're not always going to get, you know, we weren't going to trade for LeBron James today. You're not going to somehow luck into the best, the top pick in the draft when you're, when you're picking in the teens, but you have some optimism and you think, Oh, if things break our way, maybe we can get this guy via trade, or maybe we, maybe this guy slips two or three picks and we get him and that would be a successful draft. And then what happens is there's, there's no trade is made or, the Jazz trade the pick away or trade some or, or pick some no name or whatever, or they just don't get the free agent. And, and like, uh, what was it? Oh, four when the Jazz or oh, three when the Jazz kind of struck out in free agency. And, and, uh, it just, it's just anticlimactic. But you and I have been around long enough that we've seen that enough times that it probably isn't a shock. But you're right. This year maybe was a little more important because it was one of those last shots to do something with the asset that is cap space and the other assets that are, that the jazz are hanging on to at this point aren't really that valuable, meaning the picks, not the, not the players. I'm not right. talking about that, but the, the picks that are in the cupboard at this point is a whole bunch of seconds and the number 30 from, from golden state, presumably the number 30, but yeah. Uh, so there's, and, and then their own picks, which cross our fingers they probably won't be super valuable. And again, if they are super valuable, that's because something went wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And and so that's the thing. I, I don't, you know, standing pat is not always a mistake, but I will say this. If the Jazz don't find a meaningful way to use their cap space between now and July 1st and then Gordon Hayward walks, then I think you look back at this day and you go, wow, is there something that could have happened on February 23rd uh, Ken's birthday Eve that would have changed the calculus for Gordon or that would have changed the calculus for George Hill or that would have, you know, I, I don't know. I, in other words, I'm not, I'm not ready to freak out yet, but this could wind up being a, an important day in retrospect um, for one reason or another, by the way. I mean, it could go the other way too. Like, um, you know, favors who a lot of people assumed would be 
um, would be central to anything big that happened today. And I didn't necessarily think that. I thought I thought that favors was the biggest question going into today. Um, but as I covered in the in the blog over the last you know thirty six hours, I, I actually felt like it would be hard to replace favors with something that was better than favors. So, um, yeah. But at any rate, you know, favors may get back to being healthy, and if he gets back to being healthy, that unlocks a whole other level for the Jazz, right? I mean, you know, they're on a fifty win pace, and they're a half game out of home court in the first round of the playoffs, and. They're probably their third best player in absolute terms has played pretty badly all year long because he's, you know, clearly hurt, clearly not as mobile, um, you know, clearly being held back by knee pain, by whatever, by discussions with the coach about what his role should be, whatever it is that. So I guess the point is it could go right also. Um, but this is a big day because now the Jazz have given themselves 25 games plus, you know, God willing, a playoff series or two to convince Gordon Hayward that this is headed in the right direction. Right. And obviously they've made some of the, they, they've proven that to an extent already. We, we haven't been sniffing 50 games for years. And this year, I don't know if I'd quite go to say guaranteed, but it's, it's pretty, it should be pretty close. Um, at this stage, but you're right. They it is is 50 games in the first round exit enough to impress Hayward, or do they need to do a little more than that? Does it need to get to 52, 55 games one and at least noise in the first round, and preferably get into the second round? Yeah. Well, let's put a pin in the 50 win thing because I know that we're gonna we're gonna spend some time at the end talking about the rest of the season. And I think based on based on some quick analysis, uh, I think it'll I think it'll actually take some work to get to fifty. Not a ton of work, but like the Jazz are going to have to beat some teams that they haven't been beating um, to get to fifty. Um, but yeah, to your broader point, I think um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, is that enough progress to show Gordon Hayward, especially? knowing, by the way, that the team that everyone assumes is the biggest threat stood, also stood pat today, meaning Boston can go into the offseason still with their top three pick from Brooklyn and still with enough salary cap space to come at Gordon Hayward with a max salary offer. So now you can go to Gordon, Hay you, you can go to Gordon Hayward this summer if you're, if you're Boston and you can say, hey, we saved a spot for you. We could have gotten Jimmy Butler. We could have gotten Paul George. I don't know if they could have, but, you know, play along. Um, we stood pat, so now we have your college coach, Brad Stevens. We have Isaiah Thomas. We have Al Horford. We have, uh, you know, who else do they have? You know what I mean. We have all these yeah, guys. Yeah. We have Avery Bradley to do the defensive dirty work. Um, and, by the way, we're going to have a potential franchise player coming out of the draft. So, um, I, you know, you can talk about risk aversion, but still, Staying put is its own kind of risk. And I think the risk that Dennis Lindsay took today in saying no to whatever deals came across his desk, that's a risk that will now define his tenure as GM because Gordon Hayward is either going to believe in what is here or he's not. And we're, you know, 25 games and a couple of playoff series away from finding that out.
Yeah. No, I, I am right with you, and you're right. I was kind of overestimating. I, I was off a couple a couple games, a couple of wins as to where the Jazz are now. So, yeah, they'd have to go 15 and 10 at this point to win, to get 50 wins. So that's – and that is right about where their win percentage is, but we'll talk about it later. That's they, – they, you know, they're, they're scheduled down the stretch. You know, it's going to be challenging. Yeah, for a couple of different but that's, reasons. That's section three. We haven't even done section two yet. So. Really? You really – well, I mean, just let's put a bow on section one then. I, so Andy had this line in his recap at KSL.com, which I feel like I can use since he's um, our managing editor as well. He said um, the Jazz could have traded for a – they could have traded a first-round pick for an expiring contract, for an expiring veteran, but felt that the long-term benefits weren't worth it. So <clears throat> here's my thing about, about that rumor or that analysis – if the veteran that they could have traded a first round pick for was PJ Tucker, I am all for keeping the first. I'm all for standing pat. I don't not that PJ Tucker isn't a good player because he's obviously a good player and Toronto did a good job by adding him for depth. But, you know, first round picks are going to be pretty important for the Jazz going forward in terms of getting, you know, hopefully a good player locked in on a scaled contract that helps you control the the cap sheet as everyone else gets paid. Um, so I'm fine if it was PJ Tucker and the jazz said, you know what? We we'd rather have the pick than 25 games of PJ Tucker. If that first for a veteran was, you know, the Gallinari deal that everybody was talking about, or the Wilson Chandler deal that supposedly was available for a pick and an expiring. If it was, you know, the expire, I I don't know if it was any of those guys that really would have made a difference, especially um, in enabling the jazz to play the way that Quinn Snyder evidently wants to play with his big man rotation, meaning have an option where you can go to a a four that, that shoots and more importantly, a four that makes shots because Trey and Boris are shooting plenty. (laughs) They're not making that many. Um, And if they said no, to those kinds of deals because they felt like a a number 30 pick would have been too much to give or, or even a number 24 or 23 or whatever they're tracking to, um, you know, then, then that's one that they may have to look themselves in the mirror, depending on how the next four months play out, five months play out. Right. And it's number 23 as of today's standings, I think. Um, yeah. I mean, number 23 is a good pick. That's a Rodney Hood pick. And, yeah. you know, a lot of guys not as good as Rodney Hood also get picked in the mid-20s. But, um, you know, this is a club that is on a roll for finding value picks late in the first round. So, you know, um, someone said something to me last year when the Jazz were talking about maybe trading a pick to get a veteran, which they ultimately did with the George Hill deal. But this was said to me last February why would someone want to take a first round pick away from Dennis Lindsay right now? The guy's on fire. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. Um, but knowing that this was really their last chance to make a big swing with cap space or one of their last chances, they still have June, which I guess leads to yeah. the next conversation. Um, Jazz still have 13 and a half million dollars in cap space left. And there's a few things they can do with it. They can, <clears throat> Um, they can take that to June and try to make a deal 
using their cap space at the time of the draft, or really they can make a deal as soon as their season is over. Um, although really that very rarely happens. You know, people don't usually trade stuff till the draft because that's when assets start to shift in value. Um, so they could take it to the draft. There are certain players that they can't trade at the time of the draft because you tra- can't trade anyone who is a pending free agent or a player with an option. But you can trade players with a non-guaranteed contract like Boris Diaw, whose guarantee date is in mid-July. So, you know, that's yeah. a possibility. They could... Um, <clears throat> What else could they do? They could get, not do anything with it and yeah. their players get a bonus. Or they could wait for guys to get bought out and either they clear waivers and then the Jazz go approach them and try to sign them as free agents or they could claim them off of waivers. Am I missing? feels like I'm missing an but, option. Uh, the the R&E, the, did you hit that one? Oh, right. Or they could use yeah. the remaining cap space to... Um, to see if Hill or Favors want to extend their deals. Now, I, it doesn't sound right now like that's terribly likely. It sounds like Hill kind of wants to get to free agency and experience free agency for the first time, and it's hard to begrudge him that. And Favors, there's probably a number that makes sense for Favors, but how much do you want to throw at Favors right now when his whole role is kind of in flux? So I don't know how real the r option is. But I think those are basically the options that the Jazz have to not come out of this experience and say that they um, left the bat on their shoulder and did nothing with cap space. Yeah, and there is one more, although it's less likely. It's the it because I just had a thought about you know it doesn't you don't have to pick up just a guy who just got waived or bought out. There are also some names out there, and the only reason I thought of it was because uh, the Cavs had. Larry Sanders in the other day. So there, there are other guys out there who weren't just waived or weren't just bought out who you could also spend a little money on, but you got to drop, you know, they got to let go of a guy that are already paying right. to do that because now you've, you've, you've given up the opportunity to, to trade away a guy for a pick or trade away a guy for, you know, well, whatever, a top 59 protected pick to, to, uh, to give another guy a, a, a shot. Yep. Like, for example, New Orleans had Jarrett Jack in today. That's another guy who you don't have to wait for him to go through the buyout process. He's a free agent. He's been sitting there all year, ostensibly, you know, working out and trying to stay ready for when the call came. And um, so, yeah, there are guys like that. And I think that's where most fans' mindset has kind of settled right now is, okay, who are those guys that are going to become, that are either available or are going to become available? And... Obviously, the name that has been on a lot of people's lips all afternoon is a familiar name. You are referring to Mr. Darren Williams. No, I was referring to Jarrett Jack. No, yeah, yeah, Darren Williams. There's yeah. so Darren Williams has uh, has secured a an agreement for not even a buyout. From what it sounds like, Dallas was willing to basically pay his full salary. And just let him yeah. go be a free agent because they're going in a different direction, which, you know, props to Dallas. That's a pretty big thing to do. Uh, what that means is that the Jazz and something like four or five other teams could absorb him. Now, they'd have to absorb his entire $9 million cap number, but they'd only have to pay him the $2.4, $2.5 million that he would still be owed as of Saturday. Um, yeah. And and I don't know. I mean, does that? What are what are your thoughts? Does that make sense for the Jazz, financially, basketball wise, etc.? 
Well, financially, um, you know, you and I talked about it a little bit on, uh, we were talking about Bogut, who's in a little bit different boat um, as far as healthiness and what he's done this year or whatever. But financially, absolutely, I think it makes sense. But it's not all about the finances. The reason it makes sense, and you know this already, um, is because they'd only be paying these guys actual cash flow-wise 2.6 to maybe 3 million, whatever Bogut's number ends up would end up being. But they'd save themselves the four or 4.2 million that they will otherwise be spending to get the salary floor. So I'm not going to do. I wouldn't do it just to save the money. But in general, if I can spend 2.6 million and save 4.2 million, I might be motivated to do it. Right. But so you don't you, want to do it and destroy chemistry. So you could basically sign Darren Williams for negative $1.6 million right now. Exactly. You could, cl- you could claim him off waivers. Now, here's a caveat. Darren has reportedly multiple sources, multiple uh, outlets are reporting that once he clears waivers on Saturday, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that he's going to go join the Cavs and help, with, help them with their title defense. And so that's probably what he wants to do. So would he be thrilled if the Jazz said, nah, you're sorry, you're not going to Cleveland. Instead, you're going to come to Utah. Um, I think that's part of the equation. I think how would Gordon Hayward, who was with Darren for most of it, you know, for two thirds of his rookie season, how would Gordon feel? Um, how would Joe Johnson, who was with him in Brooklyn, feel about reuniting with Darren? Um, I mean, keep in mind, <clears throat> on top of the fact that Dallas is, you know, paying him nine million dollars to disappear, and that's a little unfair because they also, you know, they paid him six million and change of that while he was still on their roster. But bottom line is as of today, as of right now, he's a $9 million cap hold for a guy that they are paying to not play for them. And at the same time, Brooklyn is still because of how they stretched his salary when they waived him. Brooklyn is still paying him five and a half million dollars a season for him to not play for Brooklyn. So right now there are people paying Darren Williams 14 and a half million dollars to please go play basketball somewhere else. And I, and I know that that sounds strong, but I mean, you just, you got to wonder if there's a reason why people keep saying, um, including the jazz six years ago, why people keep saying, Hey, look, man, you have a bright basketball future. It's just somewhere else. Yeah. Oh, and absolutely. And, and it's not just that because I'd like to think, um, I don't think in Dallas it's be, it's all be, it's necessarily because of him. It's also because of the team. Sure. Uh, despite having come back and beaten the Jazz in that game a couple of weeks ago, I, I just generally look at them and they're in a shambles. Um, you know, their their top players are Dirk, who you know, as great as he is, he's you know a shell of what he once was, or at least he's appeared so against the Jazz. Uh, Wesley Matthews. Again, he's he's he feels like he's aged a little quickly, and then and Darren was was there and is no longer. So it's just they they feel like they're a shambles. I think that's more on them than on him. But you're right, um, and then clearly he didn't leave here necessarily under the greatest of circumstances, and he still he still gets booed. I just wanted him to pick him up so so that the fans <laughs> could have a chance to boo him ten more times or twelve more times the rest of the season. Kidding. I assume they wouldn't if he was wearing his uniform. Yeah, probably not. Maybe the first time, just you know, one more, one more for good measure. Out of habit. Well, yeah. talk to me about so basketball wise. Let's just like let's tease this out for a second. Let's say the Jazz did it. 
where's he getting minutes? Who's not getting minutes because of him? Because that's the other thing that that I think gives me pause is I start to think about how, I mean, really, I went into this deadline thinking the Jazz were going to find front court help because they have, you know, five wings who are at least allegedly rotation quality wings. They've got George Hill and Dante Exum who's starting to look a little bit more like late rookie season Dante Exum defending well, being aggressive, whatever. So you've got like kind of seven, call it, good rotation quality perimeter players. I, I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure exactly but just again, talk me into it or or pretend like your job is to talk me into it. Well like where does Darren make the jazz better if he indeed winds up here on a on a waiver claim. Not here because neither you or I are in Utah. But let's pretend he winds up with the Jazz on a waiver claim in the next thirty six hours. How does that fit basketball wise, roster wise? Well, I don't know if I can talk you into it because the more I thought about it, the more I, I think you're right on. I don't think he does fit. I mean, the only place he does fit, if you if you wanted to wedge him in somehow, is probably if you you know rebench Dante Exum. Um, full disclosure: I've kind of missed the last what three or four games because I was traveling and haven't really seen. Um, the improvement. Well, I mean, I saw a little bit of it before I left. Yeah. And I've heard, I've heard that you know he's it's, he's been looking better, but um, yeah, I just don't know that that's the direction you want to go. Um, it, and is and is Darren going to be happy if you pull him in here because basically you're saving 1.6 million dollars, and he's your third point guard. And hardly playing, and he could have gone to Cleveland and tried to win a title. Probably not. Yeah. Uh, so, you you know, it's more likely that you just let the opportunity pass. Uh, but, you know, it was intriguing when I, first, when I first saw it mentioned yesterday, but the more we found out, the closer I look at it, I don't think I could make a case for, for wanting him. And it's, and it's more... How does he fit with this team? Because you're right. I was looking at this trade deadline as primarily a, a an opportunity to add a big who could contribute a little bit. And it didn't have to, you know, a little bit. 10 or 15 minutes a game would have been okay. Um, 20 to 25 would have been better. But it, it didn't have to be a guy who was going to come in and take huge minutes away from, you know, the top two or three guys. It had to be a guy who was going to come in and maybe – um, make Lyles or Diaw work a little harder for for minutes because yeah. they haven't exactly been lighting the world on fire. I mean, hey, I w- honestly, I would have been fine with like a John Luer type pickup, right? Like a, a clear bench four who will come in, he'll take one and a half to two threes a game, he'll make 35% of them, he'll not screw up too badly on defense. Like that, that would have been, I think, a win. Now that wasn't sort of, you know, obviously, when people are talking about Gallo, um, you know, like that—that that would have been the home run for me. Is if you can add someone who is basically starter quality. In, in Gallo's case, he obviously is starter quality. But if you can find someone who now um, Rudy Fave and that guy—the um, name I kept coming back to in my column was Patrick Patterson. Like those three could be a really tight three-man rotation. Um, you could play any combination of those three together 
and it would basically reduce your reliance on Diaw and and Lyles to, I don't know, do you want them to play? Like, if you don't want them to play, then you just go 34, 30, and 28 between those three. But if you do want them to play, you can carve out eight minutes or whatever. So anyway, all this is just a way of saying that's where the Jazz had a need. If you add D-Will, then really what you're talking about is, yeah, one of... Dante Exum or Alec Burks just can't play anymore. And because, because let's not forget, like Rodney Hood has been out for the last few weeks. So, so even the rotation as we understand it today, somebody's getting minutes who's not going to get minutes tomorrow when Rodney Hood returns, right? And I don't know right. if that's going to be X or if it's going to be AB. But so at bare minimum, one of those two has to not play anymore for Darren Williams to have a, a rotation spot. And and if unless you want to save both of them, then you pretty much have to move Joe Johnson and make him a full-time four, which it sounds like they don't want to do because they, they want to have that as more an ace in the hole than something, a lineup that they go with, you know, 15 minutes a night. So, right. I you know, I don't know. I, I just, I don't see it. No, I I agree at this point. It took me a little while to get there, but uh, the more you think about, you know, is he that big of an improvement? And he may be a, and he may be something of an improvement, especially when you're getting into the crunch time of the season and the playoffs over an Exum, because we probably will have those games still, even if Exum's playing improved now. We'll have those games where we're like, uh-oh, <laughs> he's declining again. But, you know... There's, maybe there can be a balance between some development and some some sophomore mistakes, third-year sophomore mistakes, and trying to make the playoffs and do all the things they want to do to keep Hayward. And yeah, that, that and I think keeping him playing might be the, the the might be that balance. Yeah, and and since everything about these last 25 games is, you know, the primary goal of the franchise over the next 25 games is convince Hayward to stay. Um, so, Hey, here, play with the guy who threw a ball at your head when you were a rookie. And, (laughs) and I mean, I like, look, that moment gets so overplayed by jazz fans. I don't think Gordon gives two craps about that particular moment anymore. Now I do think Hayward might have some questions about Darren Williams because I think the jazz have some questions about Darren Williams. And in fact, when, you know, I was around, you know, I was, I was covering the team back when, um, I covered the entire D will era. Plus I was there when everything kind of went South and the trade and, and the immediate rebuild. Um, and I'll tell you more than, more than sort of the bad blood of like, Oh, he crossed Jerry and, and he crossed Kevin O'Connor and more than any of that. I think what struck me about the way people talked about Darren after all of that is more like they had just sort of figured something out about him, you know? And I think that there's something to be said for mindset and the fact that when a player reacts to setbacks by, by you know, attacking the organization, blaming other, you know, blaming teammates, I think they just sort of felt like, hmm, that may be a sign of just how... Like great players know how to say, dang, I fell short and I'm not letting myself out of the gym this summer because I'm going to come back and I'm going to get it done. 
and um and I don't know I don't I don't pretend to know Darren well enough to know if if that's a fair diagnosis or a fair comment but I know that that's the way that some jazz people um came away from that whole episode thinking and I think that would be a bigger question to answer if they were seriously going to look at D will now or in the summer than oh is it going to be awkward for Gordon and is it going to be awkward for Joe and is it going to be awkward for Jerry Sloan who still sits fifth row at most home games so um I don't know I don't know I know that's nebulous and vague but that's sort of my thinking and why it kind of surprised me to hear the jazz linked to him at all at this stage yeah well, and who knows how linked they truly were. You can only believe 50% at most of what you hear on the in trade deadline week. So yeah, um, it seems to be widely reported, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's true. This is the, even in the NBA, this is the age of alternate facts, right? <laughs> there you go. So let's assume Bogut gets waived. Um, Mike Scott and Jared Solinger are going to get waived. They're all big men. Um, anything there tickle your fancy is something that, make sense for the same financial reasons but might be a better basketball fit i'm not i'm not in love with any of those three i'm just sort of saying hey there's 13 million dollars sitting there yeah you know when i first saw bogut's name that intrigued me a bit too he's to your point earlier on uh, he's only played 26 games although you know darren's only played 40 uh favors has only played 40 so while there is a difference between the, you know, Bogut hasn't played as much, I don't think he's a necessarily 100% broken either. So that intrigued me for the same reason. They could get, they could basically make a million dollars by picking him up. But again, apparently there's a long line of guys who want to go play in Cleveland. <laughs> and it sounds like Bogut is also linked with going to the Cavs. So uh, that, that, again, that not that they couldn't get him because they've got the cap space and they could pick him up off waivers if that's what they choose to do. But they would maybe be ticking him off in the meantime, because he'd rather go play for a title. And in his mind at this point, he probably thinks I can go play for a title against my old team <laughs> that shipped me off to Dallas. So, yeah, I mean, Hey, one thing that both those guys have going for them is both of them have at one point in their life chosen to play basketball in the state of Utah. So, um, you know, Darren maybe less so because he did so, you know, as a as a restricted free agent to be. But sure. um, well, let's uh, let's talk quickly before we wrap this up. Um, how much have you looked at the last twenty five games and and just how challenging it's going to be? I haven't looked at the the level of competition nearly as much. But the one thing that jumped out at me quite a while ago and. Uh, continues to is from well i had noticed that from march 5th on and we're still a week or so away from that there was only one time yeah from march 5th to the end of the season where the jazz play two home games that means the entire season from march 5th to the end of the season with one one exception they they're they're on the road they're traveling between every single set of games yeah and it's actually now, there's I only looked, there's only one in yeah, between now and march 5th so it's two it, basically Every game will either be preceded or followed by the Jazz getting on an airplane. Yeah, that's what I was just going to add. I just realized that the right before they kick off that that stretch, there's a, there's another two game homestand. But those two two game homestands are the longest they're ever sitting in one place. So basically, they're going to be racking up 
Well, they don't rack up frequent flyer miles because they fly on a charter. But if they did, they would be racking up a whole lot of frequent flyer miles between now and the end of the year because there are two two-game homestands, if you even call a two-game stand a stand. So basically, they'll be living out of suitcases for the next eight weeks. Right. And, um, right. and I actually have done the work of looking at strength of opponent, and there's not great news here either because um, – they have of any of the five teams that are technically battling for three through seven. And I don't think it's much of a, like, I think Houston is number three at this point, but Hey, when I built my spreadsheet, it was at least feasible. So I did three through seven of the teams currently in three through seven. The jazz have more games left against 500 plus opponents than everyone. That's 12 of their remaining 25 games. Um, their average opponent winning percentage is 525. That's the highest of that group as well. Now, here's the other thing. In terms of how they finish, you know, they finish with um, Washington, who has been awesome lately. San Antonio, Portland, Minnesota, Portland. Okay, three kind of lesser games, I guess you could say. And then they finish at Golden State at home against San Antonio while the two teams that they'll be trying to keep on their back Memphis and OKC finish OKC finishes with four straight games against sub 500 teams Memphis yep. finishes with a four game home stand including three sub 500 teams so i mean i don't, like seven is a possibility like the jazz could slide to seven especially if they keep uh, you know, if the wrong guys keep getting dinged up. Yeah. And then, and then those, in that case, those, you know, the games like that Dallas game, the day, the games like that are going to come back to haunt them because the, you know, the Dallas game was in the bag and they let it slip away. I didn't watch the Clippers game. The Dallas game was the night before I left town. And then uh, the, I didn't watch the Clippers game. I know it was a, a bit of a disaster, but it was the Clippers. It wasn't a, it wasn't a slouch. Here's the problem yeah, with the gonna... Clippers game. The The problem with the Clippers game wasn't the quality of the Clippers. It was that the Jazz just looked completely lifeless. Yeah. Yeah. Like they just were not ready to play. And that's a weird one to not be ready to play mentally. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, now that I look at it, the Clippers only scored 88. So it's not like they knocked it out of the park. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It'll be... Um, I, I think this finish will be more dramatic than people are realizing. I still think the most likely outcome is that the Clippers and the Jazz finish in the 4-5 matchup one way or the other. And part of the reason I think that is because um, I, I think the Jazz are better than their record, mostly just because they still haven't seen, you know, forget favors. Like, like favors is important, and I think he's the guy who represents the biggest... Um, opportunity to play better than they've played. But I mean, even like, you know, if Exum starts looking more consistently comfortable, even Rodney Hood hasn't played all that well this year. Like he had a, he had another nice like two week stretch, but for the most part, he's gone back to kind of, you know, pedestrian Rodney Hood who averages 12 and three and two. And uh, so I just think there are enough opportunities to get guys um, both healthy and playing well that that maybe it's not just about maintaining this pace, but maybe you can tick it up a notch and play at a 
you know, whatever, play at a 55 win pace for the last 25 games and, and get yourself an extra win or two. I don't know. It, it'll be, it'll be tough with the schedule and the opponents in front of them. But I think, uh, I think that's the hope. Yeah. And even if you don't get, um, super improved play out of some of these guys, just having them available has got to help because, you know, I was, I was rattling off, uh, favors and Bogut and Darren Williams number of games played this year, but, uh, Rodney hoods at 40 out of 57, George Hills at 32 out of 57. Yeah. Um, and, and I already mentioned favors is at 40 out of 57. So these are guys who've missed two thirds of the season or in Hill's case, very nearly half of the season so far. You mean a third? So, you, uh, they missed a third to a half. Yeah. Sorry. 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 Played. Yeah. Sorry. Played nearly two thirds and missed, a, missed a third. Um, Math is hard. Um, Says the CEO. So, yeah, there, there's – yeah, exactly. So just getting these guys out there because, you know, the one thing I noticed in those, you know, the three losses recently when uh, the the Dallas, the Boston, and the Clippers that we just talked about, as much as Joe Ingles has impressed this year, it's not it's not Joe Ingles' fault. It's just when, when Hood is out and Ingles is in the starting lineup, then you're just going farther down the bench to get that next the next guy who's playing, and it's hurt him. And, and every time, if you look back, I'll bet Hood the record when Hood is out has been lower. And it's not because Hood's been stellar, but it's because he's another body, he's capable, and, and missing him hurts. And obviously missing George Hill hurts. And back in the day, missing Derek Favors hurt. So if they can just keep those guys there – improved play or not i think they have a better chance to win than they have had thus far this season or certainly at least to clean up their record against 500 teams because really that's been the story through 57 is the fact that they are dominant against the teams that they're supposed to be dominant against but they still they they don't i mean they're the worst among those top seven teams in the west at just beating good teams and uh yeah and you look at that and you say, well, how many of those losses were they missing at least a starter? Um, and the number's pretty From scary. All of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think they're, I think they're now, um, I think it's still nine games that they've had all five of their preferred starters healthy, and they were eight and one in those games. So, yeah. Although weirdly enough, um, that that particular unit, that particular five man lineup, still has a negative net rating. So. Mm-hmm. Figure that out. Um, all right. Well, we're going long here, so we should probably wrap up. Let me get a quick prediction out of you. The Jazz start their their uh, home stretch with a, a road trip at Milwaukee, at Washington, at OKC. Give me your prediction. What's their record over the next three games? Yeah. <laughs> as well as Washington's been playing and, and Thunder there. I'd like to say two and one, but I'm probably going to have to go one and two. All right, I'm going. And not 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 that I'm guaranteeing that Milwaukee is a win, but just I think they pick up one out of the three. You're going what? I'm going two and one. Okay, you're I'm not going two and one. I I just I hope you're right. I think that they'll just be focused. And again, I mean, sounds like everyone practiced today. Everyone made it through a full session of practice. Rodney Hood participated fully. So I'm just going to say that. They're going to come out recognizing that, hey, the margin is a lot smaller than we thought it was. I mean, what, like we were just talking about, they could be the fourth seed, but they could also be the seventh seed. And if they're the seventh seed, they probably lose their superstar this summer. So 
Um, or at least the chances are greater that they lose their superstar at that point. So, yeah. All right. Well, I hope we're both wrong and they're three and oh, but we'll, we'll see. Oh, we have little faith, right? But, but they better be, they better win tomorrow because I always like to have a win for my birthday. Yeah. Uh, and by tomorrow, I mean the Milwaukee game. Yeah. I don't think I, uh, I don't think I got a win on my birthday this year. I can't remember. I always forget. They, I think they lose more often than they win on my birthday or the years that that my that it doesn't fall on a game day, like the most birthday adjacent day. Um, yeah, they lost at Toronto on your birth on yeah. your actual birthday. Yeah, that's right. A game that we for a minute we kicked around the idea of going to, and then we realized that yeah. that meant Toronto in January. <laughs> uh, all right. Well. Ken, enjoy the heck out of your birthday. Everyone else, thanks for listening. Uh, This has been another Salt City Hoops podcast.